Good morning, church. Open your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 1. Boy, aren't you glad we're celebrating peace this morning? Can you imagine how chaotic it would be if we weren't? (laughs) If you're visiting with us, we are in the second week of the Christmas season. And we're in part two of a series that I'm calling The Gift That Keeps On Giving. Speaking of gifts, with Black Friday having just passed and Cyber Monday having passed, I'm sure all of you have your gift buying done, right? (laughs) No, me neither. But if there's a segment of our society who sees Christmas as the season of gifts, it has to be our kids. One of the traditions in America still is writing letters to Santa to let him know what kids want for Christmas. The U.S. Post Office works with us for this. Uh, They take this tradition very seriously. They collect all of Kringle's letters. They receive them, make sure Santa gets them, and then later shares them with us so that we can enjoy them. Here's a couple that I wanted to share with you this morning. Here's the first. Dear Santa, how are you and the reindeer doing? I'm doing fine. I want a new football game and a football because my little brother is always trying to steal mine. He may look sweet, but he is really the devil. I also want a remote control of Evan. P.S. How do you get in my house at Christmas? I think all of us want to know that one. This one's my favorite, though. Next letter. I've been trying to be a responsible person. I hope uh, I would get what I always wanted. The thing I most want is a dog. D-O-G, dog. I knew, I know I haven't been taking care of my Giga dog yet. Anybody know what a Giga dog is? It'll be an electronic device you take care of. I haven't been taking care of my Giga dog yet, but it's not real, and a dog would be. Santa, I would even trade my one and only mother for a dog. <laughs> I know that a dog would be a big responsibility, but I have been bugging my dad since I was three, and I'm tired of it. <laughs> oh, I know who just made the naughty list with that letter. Letters to Santa can be funny. And the tradition of Santa bringing gifts can make some moments bright. But the gift that keeps on giving, the gift that changes lives, the gift that's a centerpiece of this holiday season doesn't come from a fictional place. It came from God. And it came through a woman by the name of Mary. And his name is Jesus. We're going to continue our study this morning in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, where the good doctor is writing to a buddy of his, Theophilus, saying, let me tell you about this Jesus and how he's turned my life upside down. So it started with an angel, Gabriel, who came to Nazareth at a village in Galilee to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man by the name of Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, for the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. He said, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. I'm telling you, his kingdom will never come to an end. Mary asked the angel, but how in the world can this happen? I'm a virgin. 
The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and so the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. Once more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she's conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything that you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Father in heaven, we come this morning. And we do ask for you to help bring peace into our life. We realize that um, some of the craziness will never leave. Life is just full of chaos. Life is full of the unexpected. Life is full of noise. But you, you sent us the Prince of Peace to bring us peace. And we are grateful that your favor has fallen upon us. And we're asking that this Christmas season might be a little bit different for all of us. That truly, knowing what this season is all about can change just about everything for us. We can't do that. No human speaker can do that, but your spirit can do that. And so we're asking, would you please bring your peace upon this church and into the world through us? Father, we're not the only ones who are asking for this Calvary Temple right up the road. is working to know this Christ, to, to tell people about this Christ, how this child came and changed the world. And we're asking your blessing upon them as well this morning. And every disciple of Jesus who is seeking the peace that can only come from this baby, from this Lord, from this King. We ask all this through his powerful name and everyone said. You may already know this. But every year in the U.S., 44 million new babies are born. That's a lot. You break that down, that comes to 11,000 babies each day. And about eight babies a second. That just makes me tired thinking about it. Nearly two weeks ago, having a chance to witness firsthand the fatigue that comes from a little girl who gave birth, I've now had the chance to observe two women in my immediate family who have been through this life-changing moment. And all I can say is, wow, moms, you are the real stud muffins of our houses. But of all the women who've ever delivered a baby, no one can claim what Mary can claim. That Mary gave birth to God in the flesh. Don't run by that too quickly. A woman, like my daughter Lauren, a woman, a normal, everyday teenager, a virgin teenager, gave birth to God in the flesh. You see, God making an appearance to us wasn't enough for him through a burning bush. God sharing his character and expectations through the law wasn't enough for him. Becoming one of us was the only thing that was enough. Being made like us in every single respect was all that was enough. The Hebrew writer says it this way. It was absolutely essential. For this reason, he had to be made like us, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, that he might make atonement for the sins of his people. Paul said it this way to the church at Philippi. Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. 
Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Jesus did not come as a superhero, and he could have. He came as a servant. He came completely God, but he came completely in a human body. And in that body chose, again, not to be a super celebrity, but a super servant. Now that's hard for me to get my mind around. I'm just going to be honest. An eight-ounce, eight-pound baby boy, God decided to slip into I cannot explain that, and I don't even want to try, but I can tell you this, I can believe it. No single thought in my life causes my brain to ache like this one. Not even the resurrection is as hard for me to conceive as it is God being conceived and birthed as a baby. And the truth is, I might just write even that off to another holiday myth this season if it were not for the resurrection of this same God-man later. You see, the way Jesus ends his life, listen to me, is the only way I can attach the truth to how Luke says he begins his life. And I say that because if a man can predict when he's going to die and how he's going to die and promise that three days later he would rise from the dead and pull that off and be witnessed by over 500 people, I'll listen to just about anything that man has to say. And when he says he was born of a virgin in a town by the name of Bethlehem and that he was God with us, I'm telling you, I believe him. I do. But it's based on what happened at the end of his life that gives what happened at the beginning of his life any possible chance of reality in this man's heart. This is no ordinary baby we're talking about. And the scripture makes no apology for the audacious and ridiculous claims that the Christmas story makes. And so for a few moments, I want to quickly focus on his humanity, what we have in common with this incredible, extraordinary baby by the name of Jesus. First of all, he was born. He spent nine months in his mother's belly just like we did. And a date on the calendar he can point to just like we can in history and say, that's my birth date. Now, it most likely is not December the 25th. It's not. But Jesus can still point to a day like you can and say, that's my birthday. And Mary would vouch for that. She'd say, I had four other kids, but he was the first. And he gave me as much indigestion as any of them. Along with the sleepless nights and the hundreds of diapers that I had to change, he was born. But Jesus also lived, just like you are living now. He lived. And I think we skip past this idea most of the time, talking about other events in his life, but he lived. The God of the universe drank colostrum at his birth until his mother's milk came in, just like Nora had to. When he skinned his knees, he cried. When he fell down, it was because he was just trying to learn to walk like the rest of us, learning to walk. He spilled his goat's milk at the dinner table. He laughed. He had a favorite toy. He, he sweat. When he worked hard, and when he sweat, I promise you, it did not smell like Ralph Lauren cologne. It smelled like your sweat. He brushed his teeth. He had chores that prepared him for a job that he would be able to pay taxes with. He lived, but he also died. Hear me. He died. His heart stopped beating. His body grew cold. He took his last breath. And because of those things, we can say he was every bit a human being as we are. 
And yet, at the same time, he was fully God. That we don't have a common. You see, Jesus pre-existed his birth. Meaning he was, there was never not a time when he existed. He's always been and he always will be. Now that's not like us. But once standing in front of a crowd, I don't know when he became aware of that as a human being. None, none of the scripture never tells us about it. But it does say this, at once in standing in front of a crowd, he said, Before Abraham was born, I am. I've always been, I always will be, I am. Now, I don't know where you are in your life with Jesus Christ right now. But if that's true, there's some huge implications that go with this truth. That the one who's always been came into this world, lived a life, was killed by men, was resurrected, and then said, I can offer you life if you put your faith in that. That has huge implications for your life. Because if it's true, there's nothing like it anywhere on the planet like that. No other religion claims those claims. But the implications don't stop there. Jesus existed after his death. He both pre-existed and he post-existed. And this is part of the divinity that we will share in someday with him if we're his followers. Your lungs are going to take its last breath most likely. Your heart's going to stop beating. R.G. Cook's almost stopped beating this, this morning early. Massive heart attack. Yours might today. We're temporary. We haven't always existed. But we can always exist from here forward. Now don't take my word for that because that's a preposterous promise that the human being is just making it. Take God's word for it. Listen to it. God says, for if we died and were buried with Christ by baptism... Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also can live new lives. Since we've been united with Him in His death, we will also be raised to life as He was. Yay, God! I can't pull that off, but He says He can. When through faith I put my trust in this baby growing up to be a man who offers us a chance to believe in Him as Lord and Savior, if we trust that and say, okay, I am all in. Put me to death. Let Him live inside me. And we do that right back here in baptism. He says, let me make a promise to you that no one can take away. You will never stop living. Heart stop beating, yes. Lungs stop breathing, yes. But you will never, never stop living. I told you this is the gift that keeps on giving. And God through Mary made that gift a reality for every single one of us because Jesus Christ came, he lived, he died, and was resurrected for every single one of us. And here's what I want you to take away from this about this Mary that Luke calls the favored one. Number one, Mary's the only person to see the cradle and the cross of Jesus, period. Mary's the only person to ever be with Jesus both at his cradle and his cross. Joseph was there when he was born. He wasn't there when he died. The disciples were there when Jesus died, but they weren't there when Jesus was born. Mary is the only human being who can say, I counted his five little chubby fingers in the cradle, and I also washed blood off those five little fingers at a cross. Mary is the only person that Jesus lived in physically and spiritually. 
For nine months, Jesus lived inside her stomach. But for the rest of life, he lived in her heart spiritually. And so if we take both of those observations and we put them together about Mary and we take them seriously, that she was both there at the cradle and the cross and that Jesus lived in her physically and spiritually, I believe there's two implications you could walk out of here with today. Here's the first. When Jesus lives in you, joy will come out of you. Guaranteed. When Jesus lives in you, joy will come out of you. Even in the midst of great pain. Because you see, we're not talking about the giddy, happy, clappy joy, but a joy that's marked by a grateful past and a hope-filled future. That's the kind of joy we're talking about. I witnessed this again recently with Lauren. Something she said was the most painful thing ever in her life. And yet at the same time, she said the most joyful thing she's ever experienced. How can that happen? Because when Jesus lives you, joy comes out of you. Just does. Now, that was not a happy, clappy kind of joy. That was a grateful for the past, which there was a time when Nora's past. She was birthed. She was there. She's hers now. But there's also this hope-filled future. And so I can tell you, say with all my heart, my, my daughter's living in joy. Uh, a lot of sleepless nights. <laughs> a, a lot of fear surrounding a little, a little blood work that came back and it was a little bit negative. She's got this funky thing that goes on with an enzyme she doesn't produce. That'll be with her the rest of her life, most likely. Don't know how that's going to impact her life. But there's still joy. There's still joy. Because when Jesus lives in you, joy comes out of you. Mary can tell you that that's true. When she hears the words about, um, I'm going to have a baby, how's that possible? I'm a virgin. And she doesn't mention this, but she's thinking, and I'm, I'm, I'm to be married to Joseph. And their engagement was almost like a, a marriage certificate in itself, so much so that Joseph said he was going to have to divorce her when he finds out about it. But he hasn't heard about that yet. That's, ahead of, that's another story. But she just hears, I, I'm going to have this baby and, and knows there's going to be scandal attached to this. And what's my fiancé going to say about this? And yet, in that moment, and maybe the fear of that moment, she sings. That's what Luke writes down for Theophilus. That's the kind of response he says is possible when Jesus Christ is in your life. In any form. Here's what she sings. I'm bursting with God news. I'm dancing the song of my Savior God. God took one good look at me and look what happened. I'm the most fortunate woman on the earth. What God has done for me will never be forgotten. Again, that's not happy clappy joy. That's full of gratefulness and hopefulness, joy, which leads me to an assumption. I think it's a safe one, but raising someone you know is placed in you by God himself had to be a little confusing at times. How do you teach this person anything? Really? Holding him, what was that like? Disciplining him, what was that like? I mean, do you know any toddler that's ever walked the globe that didn't require some discipline on some level? Jesus did. How do you do that when you know it's God who placed this child within you? Some similar questions I love Max Lucado asks about Mary. Here's one of them. I'd like to ask Mary, did you ever feel awkward teaching him that he created the world? Did he ever try to count the stars and succeed? 
Whenever he, whenever he saw a lamb being led to the slaughter, did he act a little differently? And Mary, do you think, did you ever think, that's God eating my soup? There is so much I want to know about him, my Savior's life. As a child, as an adolescent, even as an adult. But I think we can imagine Mary having some confusion at times about what to say and what to do. I think we can also imagine some pride that she experienced as a mom. I mean, I've watched you moms and, and the giddiness that you get about sharing what your children are doing. Don't you know that Mary felt that same joy in her heart when she heard what her son was teaching and how the people were responding? We've never heard anybody teach like this. When, when, when miracles got back to her or even that she witnessed in person, the feeding of thousands of people with a couple of loaves of fish and a couple of... She was a prideful mama, not in a negative way. Now, the reality of him being one of us grips our hearts with imaginations. But you know who I love to hear talk about Jesus the most? And I want to invite you to hear him this morning. Kids. I love it when they tell the story of Jesus. Listen. Volume up. One dream, and then the angel just appeared, and she was really scared. So Gabriel was like, Mary, you're going to have what? Mary, you're gonna have a baby. I, you're gonna have a baby. You will call him Jesus. And then Mary was like, I'm not gonna have a baby yet. I'm only a teenager. I'm not married. Then the angel Gabriel told Joseph that Mary is not lying. She, you are having a new baby. And so they met up. They went to Bethlehem. Him, which was Joseph's old town. They ride a donkey. <laughs> oh, a camel. Oh, yeah, a camel. She said, this donkey's fast. Well, they tried to go to a hotel, and they asked the keeper um, for a place to stay. The keeper said, we have no rooms. Literally, no rooms. So Mary and Joseph walked away sadly, but then he said, the only place and here in Bethlehem, that, that you can stay, stay is a staple. And then he just pointed the way they followed. When the shepherds were taking care of the sheep, then they saw angels. The angels said, a new baby is getting born who is king of the Jews. The angel were singing. And then the shepherd said, I think we should go there and meet him. The second, I think, said, yeah, I agree with you. And the other said, yeah, me too. They had to walk through a bunch of grass and bushes, maybe have to camp out a night. And then the wise men heard about it. And then a star appeared. Well, we should probably follow that star. It's pointing down to the barn. So maybe we should follow it. Maybe. So the wise men went to Jesus. They gave them gifts. A stuffed animal, like a hippo one, that I have at home. Some diapers, and some wipes, and some milk, <laughs> some shoes, some Jordans. Gold, Frank, and Latimer. And I don't know how I would support. 
ride in that barn. Too stinky, too crowded, and ugh. I think he probably pooped because the room is very smelly. Thank you for coming. He's adorable. He's gonna be our best friend. I love you, and you're the best baby I ever seen. There, I said it. <laughs> new baby is gonna change the world. When Jesus lives in you, joy is going to come out of you. <laughs> but when Jesus lives in you, a second thing is for sure, love is going to come out of you. Love is going to come out of you. Sacrificial love comes out of you. No one would have faulted Mary for not wanting to see what was going to take place at the cross. Mary knew Jesus more then as just a son, she knew he was the lamb. I have to imagine words got back to her that her nephew John the Baptist had spoken about Jesus when John saw him walk into his life. John said, look, that's the lamb of God. Now we know because we're on the other side of history that that lamb was not to be cuddled. That lamb was to be crucified, sacrificed. That had to be tough on Mary. I hope you know by now that I love this family. Every one of you. All of you. But I can assure you this, I would not give one of my kids or my grandchild for any of you. Could. But God did. And Mary, remember this, Mary did. Mary not only prepared her son for life, she prepared him for death. And on the day of his crucifixion, I'm sure there were at least a few friends that said, Mary, you really, really don't want to be here today. You don't want to go down there. You don't want to have this in your memory banks. You want to have this be the last thing that you see of your son, him being humiliated in front of everybody. But nothing could keep her away. She saw everything the Romans did to him. She saw everything that the crowd did and said about him. And when he could have been thinking of a thousand other things, she also saw, though, what he said to her from that cross. He pulled himself up by his spikes. He, he breathed in a breath of breath. He only talked a couple of statements at all from the cross. One of them was aimed, though, at his mom, who made sure she was there that day. Dear woman, here's your son. And then John, who was standing by her, he said, here's your mom. How could she be there for that? And the answer, I think, is this, because when Jesus lives in you, love comes out of you. Which is why I've been inviting you, since I walked in this door and asked to become your minister, to do one thing if you do anything, and that is invite him to live in you. If you give effort to anything, please let Jesus Christ abide in you, live in you, be Lord over you, to reach out to a world through you. Because if you do let him in, love will come out. And I'm going to end this morning's lesson by saying how glad I am to serve, listen to me, with a house full of you who are doing that, whom I see regularly the love of Christ pouring out of you, now, we've determined not to be a church that's insulated and isolated from the pain of the hill country. We decided that, sometimes maybe to a fault. 
Most of our ministries and resources are sloped towards people who are hurting and in need. People who, who need help on many levels. But many of them don't know God. Never have experienced the grace of God, the love of God, the life in God that's possible. And many of you make that possible. I get to serve with a Christian woman here in this church whose sister contracted leukemia late in life. And in order to help her sister get well, she spent the last eight months so far and could be up to a year in the future when she finishes those treatments with her sister in Houston. She spent these months away from her husband, away from the home that she loves, away from the church that she loves. Why would anybody do that? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus lives in her. And when Jesus lives in you, love, sacrificial love, comes out of you. I have a young boy in our church who's not even driving yet. And yet he stays with his grandpa so that his grandmother can take her mother, his great-grandmother, to run errands. Now why would a young man do that? Instead of being playing video games or soccer or something else, I'll tell you why. Because Jesus lives in him. And when Jesus lives in you, love is going to come out of you. Another family has a little girl who spent months in the hospital with a leg injury. They were blessed when someone gave that little girl a stuffed bear. Now every year since then, this family has made it possible for hundreds of other children who are in the midst of an unbearable stay in a hospital to have a soft, warm bear at their side. They're doing that again this year, and if you want to get a hold of the Garrett's to be a part of that, they would need your financial help by December the 20th. We have brothers and sisters taking care of aging parents here in their home when they could just as easily place them in a nursing home. Those of you who are raising kids, you didn't conceive in your house to give them a life that they could never conceive any other way. Wow, why would anybody do that? Why would you interrupt your retirement for that? I'll tell you why. Because when Jesus lives in you, sacrificial love comes out of you. Not everybody can leave their families to take care of a sister in another city. I know that. Not everybody who has a child that's received a gift at a hospital can take similar gifts to other children in other hospitals. I know that. Not every child can care for a parent in their home. I know that. But when the opportunity presents itself to die and set yourself aside for a moment and allow another person to live, that can happen when Jesus lives in you. And when he does, sacrificial love, I promise you, will come out of you. He said it this way. He said, I want you to understand that when you become a disciple of mine, it's going to be like a gusher of living water comes out of you. Life out of you. Because I'm in you. And you say, well, that may be true for some other people, but I'm telling you, Jimmy, not me. And can I remind you as we close what Rick Warren said in his book, The Purpose Driven Life. He said Abraham was old. Jacob was insecure. Leah was unattractive. Joseph was abused. Moses stuttered. Gideon was poor. Samson was codependent. Rahab was sexually promiscuous. David had an affair. Elijah was suicidal, Jeremiah was depressed, Jonah was reluctant, Naomi was a widow, John the Baptist was eccentric, Peter was impulsive, Martha worried a lot, Zacchaeus was unpopular, Thomas had doubts, Paul had poor health, Timothy, Timothy was timid. 
Man, what a variety of misfits they are. And yet God used each of them to deliver His love to the world. That's good news to me. Just another ragamuffin just like you. And I think if God's favor can rest on a prostitute as well as a virgin, we got a shot. we got a shot to be a part of His rescue mission in the world to bring His love down to earth again. The question is, is will you, like Mary, prepare Him room? Is there any room in your inn? Oh, favored one. Father, we want to give you praise and glory and honor that you came to us long before you ever asked us to come to you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for this baby. And we just want to praise you as a church right now. That's our response this morning is a response of praise and then a welcome. That you come and live inside us so that joy can come out of us and your sacrificial love. In the name of your amazing baby, son, Lord, and King. Amen.